Hey everyone, and welcome back to the FAQ Podcast Season 2. So Adam, last time uh, we decided to move away a little bit from the theory behind quantum physics. We talked for a while about qubits and superposition and all of these ideas. But in Season 2, we chatted about this idea of really getting concrete and actually understanding some of the physics and engineering behind these ideas with the goal of kind of making them more solidified in our minds. Last time, um, you mentioned this idea, which I really like, which is to go through this well-known checklist that folks are using nowadays to build quantum computers called DiVincenzo's Criteria. So this is like a list of five things that if you want to make a quantum computer, you say, okay, check box number one, do I have this? Check number two, do I have this? And then this lets you, you know, tells you if you're on the right track or not. Um, so I'm excited to be here with you today so that we can go through one of these criteria and make our way through. Uh, but maybe we should start off with, you know, the actual topic of quantum computers. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. And yeah, excited to jump right into DiVincenzo. But yeah, let's let's start off with um, like kind of laying that basic foundation so we're all on the same page. What is a quantum computer? So I'd love to get your, your uh, gut reaction to that. Um, what would you say in a sentence about what is a quantum computer tied in a? Yeah, okay. I like how you said one sentence because here's the thing. Although all of season two really is about quantum computers, what does that mean? Like, you know, let's pick a kind of quantum computer and talk about it. I think it would not be too helpful to start off this episode by trying to give some loosey-goosey, you know, imagine you had this or like think about how classical computers work, blah, blah, blah. Because at the end of the day, if we don't actually understand, like when you when you look under the hood, what's going on, I think no amount of analogies or like trying to make comparisons to explain this thing is going to is going to help. So maybe what could be helpful is your idea. How about here's one sentence of how someone can think of what a quantum computer is. And then the entire rest of season two is like unpacking what that means. OK, so I just kind of want to put that up front. Definitely. Yeah, that's Definitely. where we're okay. at. So yeah, what is, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you think if there's I know I know how podcasts or uh, on quantum computing or other kinds of material in quantum computing would usually start talking about like bits and qubits and um, states and thing all of these sorts of things and we don't want to do that. That's like uh, these sort of sound bites. We're gonna like yeah. you said take the entire season to go through and make it so that when you hear something like that, you can actually understand it. Like the ironic thing I think is is that those sentences are nothing wrong with those right. sentences um, and those kind of like those sound bites. But the thing is, is that I think you have to already be an expert in the field yeah. in order for those sound bites to actually make sense. Yeah. So it's a little bit like backwards of trying to introduce folks that might not know a lot about quantum computers. Yeah. It's it's tough to introduce them with this sentence that really you have to already be an expert to have it make any sense. But I think that there is still a way to sort of talk more generally about quantum computing at the top. Um, and I think you have a great way to approach that. Yeah. Okay. So here's the way that maybe is great or maybe is not, but here's one way that you can <laughs> describe what a quantum computer is. Okay. So when folks ask, what is a quantum computer? I like to answer that with, it's a computer that processes, stores, and shares information in ways that are fundamentally different than the computers we're all familiar with. Okay, so it processes, it stores, and it shares information in different ways 
different ways. What are those different ways? That's what all of FAQ season two is about. So I know that's not super satisfactory, but I think the payoff at the end, if folks stick with us, is that then we'll kind of understand really what that means and really what folks are doing in this space. I think that's great. And yeah, the, the only thing that I'll throw into that is to have in your mind when you're listening to all this is that quantum computers are not just regular computers, but faster. Like that is, right. that is what they're not. <laughs> so right. we're going to get yeah, much yeah. more into detail, but I think having that like in your mind of like, we're not yeah. just talking about accelerating the computer that, that we're using to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually talking about like a whole different way to process, store and share information, that fundamental difference that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great. So should we just get right into DiVincenzo's first criteria? Let's do it. Let's dive into it. Can you tell us what the first criteria is? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned before, there are five, but the first criteria is a scalable physical system with well-characterized qubits. So I think maybe one way we could do this is unpack that and let's go through it. Yeah. And let's do it in reverse, <laughs> maybe, because let's not bury the lead. Yeah. And we can actually talk about qubits, because I think we, we mentioned last time that we're going to focus on trapped ion qubits. Yeah. So maybe we can start um, talking about those qubits a little bit and then kind of work backwards into what does it mean to be a well-characterized system? What does it mean to be scalable? Yeah. How does that sound? I think that's great. And then just to connect this to like the one-sentence summary that we had earlier, how are you sharing information? Where are you storing your information? In a quantum computer, you store it in a thing called a, a qubit. And so that's the last mm -hmm. word in DiVincenzo's criteria number one. So now let's talk about it. Um, one thing we mentioned last time, and, and you kind of already hinted at it, but I want to make this explicit. There are lots of different kinds of quantum computers. And there's different kinds because people are using different physical things for qubits. So we just want to focus on one kind of qubit that some companies are using, which is a trapped ion, which you just mentioned. But just, you know, to be explicitly clear, we could have chosen to talk about other qubits like superconducting qubits, which maybe you'll mention, and then there's other kinds. But just for this podcast, we're going to pick one and kind of talk about that a little bit. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So, Adam. What is, so, so the qubit we want to talk about is a trapped ion, okay? So that's an adjective and a noun. So let's talk about the noun first. <laughs> Can you please remind us what an ion is? Yeah, an, an ion is just uh, uh, an, an atom that has some charge on it. Um, and the, the word ion actually goes back quite a ways. Um, I think uh, Faraday first talked about ions in the 1830s, and that was in the um, context of electrolysis, of mm -hmm. like electricity kind of moving through water from one part of uh, like an anode to a cathode. So kind of um, uh, like basically how you can stick a battery into water kind mm -hmm. of and mm -hmm. uh, make hydrogen and oxygen. There was some kind of movement. And the word ion comes from the Greek to move. <laughs> and, it, oh. and it wasn't until much later. So it wasn't until uh, until a fair amount later that that the, um, the, there was more work done on what an ion actually is instead of just describing that it's some kind of thing that's moving charge through mm -hmm. the water. Mm -hmm. That's what Faraday said. It took a little while to figure out um, more concretely what that was, and that ended up um, earning a, a couple of Nobel Prizes uh, around ions um, much, uh, much later in the early 1900s. Um, so that's kind of like our history of discovery and characterization of ions. We've known about these things for a long time. One thing that could be helpful for folks to know is that some 
elements or some atoms are better to work with for quantum computers mm -hmm. than others. So I was reading, um, reading about this recently, and apparently elements from groups 2A and 2B of the periodic table are kind of the, mm -hmm. the preferred ones. So that includes beryllium, magnesium, calcium, ytterbium, zinc, and others. Um, and I think that I, I don't, don't want to jump too quickly to the rest of criteria number one, but part of that is going into the well-characterized part of well-characterized qubit, because mm -hmm. in order to really manipulate these things, actually, let, let me say it like this. All of those elements that I just listed, you find them in nature, right? Like no one is mm -hmm. like baking ytterbium in their oven or something. Like it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just out there in the world. Um, but the thing is, these are atoms. So you have to think about how do I want to turn this atom into a qubit? It's not just naturally a qubit. I mean, it naturally has the potential to be one, but you have to construct a device that's going to knock off an electron to ionize it, to give mm -hmm. it a positive charge. And then you, as the engineer or the physicist, have to decide like which of the many energy levels that you can choose from will be your ground state and which will be your excited state. So usually you have two energy levels and these are the, these two options are representing the qubit, right? A qubit is mm -hmm. like a system with two options that are analogous to like heads or tails or light on or light off. So in physics, quantum physics, your two options are gonna be, hey, my electron is in this energy level or in this energy level. But you have lots of choices in each of these elements. And so, um, I think the reason for choosing these particular elements off the periodic table is that they have certain properties or their folks know how to manipulate them with very specific lasers, with very specific wavelengths for certain time durations. And you have to know all of that nitty gritty stuff. So, I mean, I guess I jumped the gun a little bit, but that's kind of getting into what the well characterized means. And you just don't go and pick up any atom or any ion off the street. Like there's specific ones because well, they have properties that you can then harness later on to do your fancy stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I mean, that, that that's right. So um, I think the one of the big points here is that um, these things have been known about for a long time. Um, ions um, and even how to manipulate ions generally have been known about for a long time. Um, and now we have new technology and new uh, knowledge um, to help sort of harness those fundamental pieces into something that can be mm. a quantum computer. So, okay, we talked about ions for a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. there's this adjective, right? Trapped ions, trapped ion quantum computing. So uh, maybe we should talk about the trap now. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I mean, the the um, I can start, but I definitely sure. want to hear your your thoughts on this. But um, you know, one of the benefits of of an ion is that um, it has a charge, and that charge means that it can that the whole um, ion, that whole um, atomic unit, can be manipulated in motion. Um, using an electric field. Yeah. So if you have something that's charged, you can use an electric field to control where it is. Yeah. And so that's that's really the important piece here with the ion part. And you can do this with neutral atoms too. People may have heard of neutral atom quantum computers. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to do that a little bit differently in a different way because you because uh, your atom is neutral instead of an ion. But mm -hmm. if you have an ion, you can use electric fields to control where it is. Mm -hmm. And um, from my understanding, the way that that's normally done, what you want in a trapped ion computer, a quantum computer, 
is you want to have a, a sequence or a chain of um, trapped ions um, on your on your chip that's in the um, that's the computing part of your quantum computer. And to do that, you can kind of create these wells yeah. um, of um, of electric fields to control and to trap your your ion. Um, and the way that I think about this, and then I want to hear what, what yeah. you think, Ty Danae, um, is, you know, the without getting into just too much detail, um, electric fields are kind of shaped more like uh, a saddle, like an atom might be stabilized. Let's see if I can like make it like this, <laughs> like stabilized mm -hmm. in one direction, but it can fall off in the other direction. Mm -hmm. So you're really with a single electric field, you're really only able to um, to control uh, where it is on, you know, on this one axis. But what you can do is you can some really fancy um, fancy control equipment, you can oscillate this yeah. um, electric field so that you're moving back and forth like this, yeah. and then you're trapping the ion on both dimensions. So it wants to start to roll off, but you switch the field and it keeps it in, in place, but then it starts to roll off the other way and you switch the field again and you're kind of like doing like this or like a Pringle, like yeah, a Pringle chip, exactly. <laughs> like like uh, spinning around in a in a plane. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the kind of the trapped piece and you're able to have that control because that ion, whether it's calcium or something else, um, has has a charge to it. So you can you, uh, you can manipulate its motion with mm -hmm. a, um, with a, with an electric field. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that, Teddy? No, I'm sure no, that's good. To, to add. Well, well, no, no, I think that's good. The only thing I, I would say is that, um, like, you may ask why why do that. So maybe I, we could back up a little bit. Ideally, a trap sure. is like I think you use the word well. So it's like a little mm -hmm. bowl, right? So ideally, if you have a bowl, you'd like your ion to just sit in there. But listen, ions are so small, they do not feel gravitational effects, right? So you can't just like actually get a bowl and stick an ion in because gravity's not going to pull it down. So instead, your bowl is really made out, your, you know, the bowl that you'd want, it's really made out of an electric field. But it turns out for technical, mathematic mathematical and physical reasons, which I do not fully understand, but I think it's a theorem. You cannot have an electric field that's just like a stationary bowl like that, okay? Which is why you have to have this Pringle type thing, which you can then spin. Like anyone can imagine, take a Pringle like this and then spin it really quick. Now you've basically got a bowl. Okay, so that's kind of the trap, but that but the reason you have to take this Pringley type detour is because actually the math says that this is not possible. But here's the thing, okay? There's a one more step to this, which I think is really interesting. You've got this, like, you know, necklace of ions. What you actually want to do is to also make sure that they, um, let me say it like this. Atoms have energy associated to them, right? So they're kind of moving around, and you don't want them to move around so much because what if they jump out of the well, right? Or, like, these things are, like, they're just wiggly, so another step to this is something called cooling. So um, mm -hmm. I'm using quotes like this because what I mean is that you want to kind of remove some of that kinetic energy. If you can slow your movement down, that's kind of analogous to cooling them. So then there's other technical things where it involves shooting more lasers at them to kind of keep them still so they don't jump out of the well like that. Mm -hmm. But in addition to all of that, okay, imagine, Adam, You've got a bunch of positively charged teeny tiny particles. What do we know about things that have the same charge? 
They don't like to be next to each sure, other. Sure, they don't like to be <laughs> next repel. to each other. Right? So, so there's like some repulsive, like repelling force between them, which is called Coulomb force. But they can't, you know, escape too much because they're in this well. So you can imagine, mm -hmm. like here, I'm an ion, and like there's one over there, and I'm getting close to it, but then I feel that electric force called Coulomb force, and then I'm bouncing back over here. Oh, but no, I got too close to this one over here, so then I'm bouncing back. So you can imagine now all of these atoms are kind of, our ions are kind of jiggling a little bit. And that, that turns out to be extremely important. So that is not a bad thing. But later, I think in, in another episode, we'll actually see that in addition to these energy levels that individual ions can have, this ability to trap them with lasers while also being aware of the Coulomb force or the kind of repelling that they're feeling against each other gives a total motion to the whole chain. And that total understanding that total motion together with individual energy levels of the individual ions, that is like a whole package deal that comes into the nitty gritty specifics of how to run this computer. Yeah, no, it's uh, things get complicated pretty quickly. But yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to jump into that. I have one other question that comes to the top of my mind when we're talking about going through, we're going through a lot to try to get this like necklace or this chain yeah. of ions like sitting there on the chip. And so I think a reasonable question is like, why do we need to keep them in a single spot? Like, why can't we just have like, a, instead of a bowl of one, why can't we just have a pool of a whole bunch of um, ions or, or atoms sitting in there? And my understanding for that also hits under the well-characterized piece, uh, but please jump in there. Tidy no, May. wait, tell us. You need to manipulate. Oh, yeah. oh okay. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Um, that we need to manipulate those, uh, those atoms. So like you mentioned before about changing energy levels, we're hitting, zapping these with lasers and changing the energy level and that's basically going from the ground state to the excited state and then eventually back to the ground state and it's those two different states that are, allow us to do computation and if mm -hmm. we want to be able to control that well we have to know which ion we're dealing with and we have to know that if we um like a take aim and shoot a laser at a place we need to know where to shoot it mm -hmm. and we need to know who got shot <laughs> and what its energy level is getting moved to and like keep uh, keep track of all that so i think at the most fundamental level the reason why you know the engineers i was about to say we but yeah. <laughs> engineers and scientists that are that are not them. me <laughs> them <laughs> why they need to do that go through all that trouble of the spinning pringle and all the lasers yeah. and all that kind of stuff to get these in a nice line isn't just because like it looks nice but it's actually a fundamental piece of this type of uh, infrastructure of a quantum computer that you need to you need to know where the qubits are and you need to know what state they're in and in order to do that you have to keep track of where they are and the best way to do that is to keep them in a single spot or at least as close as possible to a single spot where you know how to like maintain that accounting at least that's that's my understanding of it no i think that's correct although let me say two things that are a little above my pay grade but i'm going to say them anyway did you know, so there are at least two companies that are dealing with this kind of technology. One is Honeywell, which or I think is now called Continuum. And then there's also IonQ. So mm -hmm. Honeywell, um, one of their quantum computers actually has like a racetrack design. So instead of just a yeah. line, it kind of looks like, uh, like an oval. But then also... Mm -hmm. um, there's, I think also at Honeywell, I was listening to a talk um, 
actually at CUNY, City University of New York last year. And I think now they have the ability, um, okay, imagine this, you've got a whole bunch of really teeny tiny ions in a line, right? And you wanna like shoot ion number seven with a laser, but because they're so close, there's the potential for kind of leakage or noise um, to, to affect the other neighboring ions that you don't want. So I think they there's now this idea where you can actually remove ion number seven and ion number nine. Let's say you want to entangle them and you kind of separate them mm -hmm. over here and then you do your magic to them and then you can, can bring them back. So I think these are like things that people are thinking about, about how best to manipulate these qubits while also minimizing errors that you don't want. Yeah. So I think a line is a place to start, but I think that they're also maybe expanding that idea a little bit. No, definitely. And that's a, if I remember correctly, that's a quantum charged coupled device. I don't think it's coupled charge. I think it's charge coupled CCD, QCCDs. Oh, so, right. um, and yeah, and I think that that's a, that's a really good uh, transition into the last part that we mm -hmm. want to talk about, which is really the first part <laughs> of DiVincenzo's first criteria, which is scale. Because yeah. what you're describing, um, I think, is, is an attempted solution to the problem of scaling. And you um, kind of got into this a little bit before around uh, that motion in mm -hmm. the chain um, of qubits, which is is like beneficial and we'll talk about that but up to a point yeah. <laughs> like if everything starts moving in a way that's a little bit less controllable and that motion changes as you add more and more ions to that chain um, you start to run up against a, a hard limit and then there's another scaling issue of having all of these um, you know all of these different qubits need uh, different control devices so different lasers mm -hmm. that can shine on all of them um, and as you pack things closer together or you have more and more ions mm -hmm. that can actually change change the sensitivity of each of those ions to a laser that you're using to control it. So your control of the wavelength of that laser has to get better and better as you have more and more ions. So there's that scaling problem. And, th and those are hard, very difficult problems that haven't been fully solved yet. And so this QCCD um, idea of this racetrack that you're talking about mm -hmm. is, I think, one of the ways that engineers are looking to be able to try to pack more qubits into the system, but to be able to move them around in certain ways so that you reduce that uh, reliance on super finely tuned lasers and also can control that motion um, of the entire chain that you were talking about before. So um, that's my that's my understanding of, of how all that kind of fits together into DiVincenzo's criteria. Yeah, exactly. So you know, do ion-trapped quantum computers satisfy DiVincenzo's criteria, number one? Like, yes, because they're qubits and they're physical and they're well-characterized, but are, like, can we scale them? I mean, that's what people are working on. I think no quantum computer satisfies all of these criteria because everyone is working on scaling right now. But just to give people right. an idea of the number, I think by way of reference... IBM's biggest quantum computer now, which is not trapped ion, that's superconducting, has like, what, 433, 433 yeah, yeah. qubits? Okay, by way of mm -hmm. reference, if I looked this up correctly, I think IonQ's current quantum computer has 32, okay, mm -hmm. which is still a small number. So just, you know, if people are wondering, like, how many of these things are there, 32. It's not a super big number, but it's a lot bigger than than they've had before, so this is good. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and and let's show a picture. So I know we talked oh, yeah. about this before, um, and uh, so I'll actually have a picture here that we can share that is um, an IonQ chip, 
And what you're seeing here is a composite image. So this is the actual quantum computer chip there. And you see all those blue or maybe they're purple. I'm kind of colorblind, but all those dots. <laughs> and, and those <laughs> are the trapped ions. And that's the composite piece of the image um, zoomed in on that little slot in the middle of yeah. the chip. What's what's in there are all those ions. They're blown out in this in this picture. And you'll notice there's more than than the 32 or so that, that, yeah. um, that you mentioned. But yeah. this is more of like a research um, research chip. So this might this is not commercially available at the moment. Uh, but the scaling issue is like is the big issue that um, that folks are working on or one of the big issues that folks are working on when it comes to, to trapped ions. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that out of all of the pieces of the criteria in one for DiVincenzo's, scaling is like the toughest part right, right now with trapped ions. Like when we're talking about a physical system, we just mean something that's real, not just theory. So yeah. we, we've got that. And the well-characterized piece, like we know about ions, we know how to manipulate their energy levels, like mm -hmm. that's all good, um, mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, and there's some other benefits of trapped ions, but really the scale issue. And this is shared by some other... Um, other types of uh, quantum computers, mm -hmm. uh, but trapped ion, that's like the, the, as far as I understand, that's the big thing that folks are really trying to work on. Yeah. Okay. This is good. So just to wrap this up, I would like us to take a moment and appreciate how great this is. Okay. As you know, I have a background in mathematics. The first time I heard qubit, you know, the answer I'm given is a qubit is a you know, a unit vector in a two-dimensional Hilbert space. Or, you know, if a more maybe pedestrian explanation is it's a, it's like, you know, a column of two numbers so that if you square them, you get one. Or maybe they're not real numbers or something. Okay, whatever. But I love that we were able to, at least in our minds, you know, grasp some calcium ions <laughs> or some ytterbium <laughs> ions and like knock off an electron and then, you know, kind of think about the different energy levels. And by the way, we, we totally skimmed over a lot of details there. There are things called like optical qubits or hyperfine qubits, and this mm -hmm. has to do with exactly which energy levels you're working with. But um, the fact that all of that stuff can be understood and manipulated, and we'll get into to that later when we go to the other criteria, but in a very physical, tangible sense, at least for me personally, really helped put some meat on the more theoretical ideas, which I think usually it's like the theory that we read about in PopSite, understandably, because the engineering is very technical and, and not as accessible, but I hope, you know, in the past few minutes, we were able to at least make some of this bite-sized, I don't know, I thought this was super fun. <laughs> Me too. And I mean, it's a, you and me are the only ones talking here. So as long as we think about <laughs> well, nice. I think we're good, right? Exactly. So, yeah. And we'll get into more of those, some more of those details. But also I want to, we'll pop something into the description. There's a really great article um, that we, uh, that we've used and that I know other folks have, yeah. have used. I think it's uh, from a Penny Lane article oh, so good. that uh, talks about trapped ion, um, trapped ions in general and trapped ion quantum computers. So we'll yeah. drop that in there for folks that want to get into like the optical slash hyperfine. Yeah. And we'll talk about all that manipulation and stuff moving forward. I'm going to try to spend like 30 seconds on the superconducting piece Please, really quick with DiVincenzo's yep. um, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, compare that to what's going on with trapped ion. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so the you know well-characterized physical system um, in superconducting quantum computers, the physical system, it's physical, like it's not a, just a theory, but the well-characterized part is a circuit <laughs> that engineers have made to mimic 
energy, these energy levels of atoms. So we talked a little bit before about energy level of atoms and how they can be used as a qubit. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening in a superconducting quantum computer. Um, but it's 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 um, mocking that up in in a circuit that can be uh, printed like in lithography style on a super on a semiconductor, like on a computer chip. Essentially, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, has to be kept really cold. So that there's some scaling issues there. There's scaling issues both in the fact that um, those qubits, each one of those like little little chips, you can or you know you can think of um, the piece of the chip. I don't want to get too too technical, sure. but these these Josephine junctions for people that mm -hmm. uh, that know a little bit more about these. But um, each of those is a qubit. Those can be packed onto chips um, in a similar way that you can put transistors on regular um, you know CPUs, GPUs, things like that. Um, but there's scaling issues there because things have to be kept really, really cold in order for the superconductivity to work. And the control that you need to manipulate those circuits uh, requires a lot of infrastructure. Right. Um, so the number of just the wires <laughs> that have to be like plugged in and tuned in and everything needs to be just right in order for that to work, it's really a big challenge. But as you mentioned before, folks are doing this and there's a 433 qubits um, superconducting quantum computer and we're you know in the double digits right. for things like trapped ions. So the scalability issue could be a little bit easier there at some point in the scaling process, uh, but there's other uh, advantages and disadvantages of these different types of quantum computers or these different types of qubits. And we were just talking about two, there are like another seven or 10 <laughs> at least right. uh, types of qubits. So just uh, to let you know a little bit about what's happening between trapped ions and, and superconducting, that's uh, that's the, the short version. No, that's perfect, yeah. And I think even people can, like, in their mind separate between artificial qubits, which is like superconducting artificial. Those are the right. ones that are trying to mimic what's naturally available in natural qubits, which are like That's ions. Right. So, all right. Yeah. And some, some mm -hmm. folks even call those artificial atoms. Yeah. <laughs> like the, exactly. uh, the superconducting qubits. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, next time. Yeah. So next time we are just going to move right down our list of DiVincenzo's criteria. Um, let's not say what number two is, you know, formally if we were to look up in his 2000 paper. But, you know, can you just give us the, the Cliff Notes friendly version? What is the next criteria <laughs> we'll be talking about? Sure. Yeah, I'll try to do that. Basically, it's about qubit initialization and manipulation. So initialization just meaning um, like getting them kind of all in the same state that we know so that then we can then manipulate them. So that's basically what the second criteria is about, is being able to get them reliably into their ground state, so getting everybody looking the same, and then being able to uh, reliably control uh, those, uh, those qubits in a way that is predictable and understandable to us. With, and I think that a piece of that is some error is acceptable there, but it needs to be a small enough amount of error in that control yeah. that we can account for that. And yeah. I think that's an important part of that, that criteria. Excellent. Okay. I'm looking forward to this discussion and we hope to see everyone next time. Thanks.